0: Yeah. Thank you, Lord, that all things are possible with you, that all things uh, in all the realms, health and otherwise, are possible with you. Oh, we just come to you and declare what you've already declared over us, the possibility, the possibility of God. Thank you, Father. Mm. And with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now, think about the alliteration of that. Nothing shall be impossible. It's impossible for nothing. It's going to be something. It's possible, it's possible, it's possible, it's possible. Thank you, Lord, for your presence, for your spirit, for your faith that's being imparted, gifts of faith and healings and miracles, gifts of power and workings of miracles. Thank you for these things that you have given to the church to grow us and to exhort us. Thank you for your charismas and for your sweetness and for how you are for us and not against us. I thank you that your goodness proceeds and exceeds all of our expectations. We thank you for that. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you for you. We thank you for your speed, spirit. So good. Thank you for the love and grace in this house. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Worship thank you worshipers instruments thank you for it hallelujah thank you for that sweet spirit the spirit of all grace the spirit of all truth thank you for it <laughs> today is the third the third sunday in the season of creation i told you a little bit about this miniature liturgical season that happens through the month of September, and it's a season in which the church focuses and and chooses to um, pay attention to uh, creation and how we participate in relationship with creation in the created world. Um, During this time, Christians and those of other faiths are encouraged to read uh, the scriptures with our hearts attuned to the earth and its inhabitants and with our hands ready to participate with God in co-creating the future. I'm also especially aware of the Jewish times and seasons, the calendars of that, that um, are ancient in that this weekend is the Jewish New Year. It is Rosh Hashanah. It is the one that we celebrate. It's like year 5784 or something like that. It's, um, it's pivotal to understand the times and the seasons that were planted into this atmosphere and the, in, into the cosmos by these ancient traditions. And so I always feel a little more like it's new year around this time of year rather than in the dead of winter in January 1st. It just feels more alive. It feels more like things are changing. The seasons are changing. The trees begin to change. The sun and the arc of the sky has changed. The way that we see the shadows and the way that we experience the world. How many have noticed in your own cycles of your life that you tend to start new things around this time of year? Yeah, we start our education, we start our school process, we start new things. And um, I have a couple of uh, goals to, with you today. Last week, I didn't quite feel like I got it out. You know what I mean? We were worshiping for so long, and that was so beautiful. But I really had this message in my heart that around forgiveness and grace, that I feel needed to be expressed a little bit more. So I'm going to pick us back up on that theme and topic of loosen your grip because grace got next. All right. And I'm hoping that in this space we are allowed and permitted to loosen our grip on certainty, on the way things ought to be or should be, And instead, take a look and a fresh look of the way things are and try, if we will, to get a little bit comfortable with being uncomfortable. A little comfortable with things not being so fair, perhaps, or being so right, or the way you thought things should look by the time you were 55. We're 65. Come on, Sarah. Wait, you gave Sarah's. Into. Is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember. It's so fun for Kelly, James, and Sarah and I, because we're both all 10 years apart. I'm 45, Kelly's 55, Sarah's 65. Is there any 75 in here? Can we just go on? Nope. So no 75, no 85. 85, 85, 95, 95. 95. Okay. All right. <laughs> Jesus is the one who declares, come to me, all who are weary and heavy, those who are exhausted because life just continues to go in these circles, and we are exhausted because it seems to be happening the same way for so long. Jesus, the promise through all of the eons of time is, I will give you rest The text in the lectionary today is a popular parable that we have heard for years. It's found in Matthew 18, 21 through 35, and I would like to read it. It's on the topic of forgiveness and grace. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to the Lord and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How about seven times? And the Lord always trying to one up us says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king. So the kingdom of heaven is like, that's clue language for this is going to be a metaphor. This is going to be a parable. This is going to not be a true story, but as we know, all stories are true. Come on, listen to me. And some actually happened. All right? So we're in the language of myth and parable, one that comes alongside to show something that's ineffable. We're going to try to put a story around it, try to get you to see something that you can't quite put your mind around. So we, these are not things that actual events, but this is to get over a concept to you. You hear it? So it's a concept, it's a conceptualizing, it's a use your imagination type thing. So, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like, so that's your clue to know this is a story to prove a point, you know, to get a point over. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. Say, moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. Compassion is always a moving spirit. It's a moving thing. Released him. And forgave him of his debt. So to forgive means to release, to let it go, to send it away, to go ahead and just forgive the whole thing. Now, if there was no debt in the first place, there wouldn't need to be forgiveness. Because if there was nothing owed, you would not have to release anybody of anything. Forgiveness is radical. It's not regular. It's a big deal. It, um, it's hard uh, because we count, right? <laughs> There's that part of us that our pride counts. Our, we count what's owed to us. We count what we owe to others, we know how much we owe. If I asked you right now, how much would it take to absolve you of all your debt? How much, uh, what, what would the check be? Some of you have a number right off the top of your head because you know how much you owe. You know what all of your accounts are, right? And then you would also probably know how much other people owe you, right? And now, okay, hold me back. Let me just keep on with my text. Hey, okay, The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay all. Verse 27, then the master of the servant was moved again with compassion, released him, all words for forgiven, and forgave him the debt. It literally means to release, like to be dismissed from school, like the bell has rung, you're released, you're dismissed, done. Okay? But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him just like he had done with his lord saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all, I promise. But he would not have anything of it, but went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servant saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? Today, I want to level set. I like these kinds of messages because for me, it feels like a spiritual tune-up. Because after a while, your plugs can get all plugged up, okay? Your little hoses can get some stuff in them, and we need just a little bit of a flush at times and a reminder of how much we have been released and how much release is available. We want to grow in grace and allow grace to God next. And I told you last week that it was I was interested in this phrase because when someone is new to a court uh, playing basketball, uh, it's basically, it's whose team is, gets to play next on the court. And in order to reserve a spot for the next games, we got next is the appropriate response. But you must speak up. You must speak it. You must make your intention known. You must make your presence known by speaking what you want. By not speaking, they make a common mistake for many newcomers when they visit a court that they're not familiar with. Now, with the changing of the seasons and us being available to what is next, it might be that as you navigate toward the new season or new chapter in your life, that you are unfamiliar with the rules of this new season. And things will begin to happen and somewhat pile up on you if you don't use what you've learned in previous season, use your voice, and speak up. (laughs) I was reading um, an interesting article by Diana Butler Bass um, about this very thing. And she brought something up that I hadn't considered before. When we think about forgiveness, often we think about the popular Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Well, that word there, as she so beautifully lifts up, that word for debt, which is an economic and legal term, And the word sin, a moral and theological term, they're the exact same word in that text. (laughs) So we can gain some insight that the word he uses for the financial debt and the word he uses for the relationship debt are the same. Now, somebody start putting some pieces together here because Jesus, it would appear to me, is beginning to talk about radical economics and radical relationships. (laughs) Jesus seems to have been dreaming of a debt-free world. A world in which economic debts, in his Jewish tradition, Jubilee, was part of their tradition. Where at a certain time, in a certain place, debts would be free. Land would return to its owner. Things would go back to, the, to settling the score, settling the debt. Hmm. Today's passage is traditionally called the parable of the unmerciful servant. If Jesus were to update his tale, she writes, with those students in mind, he might call it the parable of debt abolition and the wicked hedge fund manager. That packs a bit more of a punch, doesn't it? Telling the story that way might get Jesus thrown out of a congregation or two. I want to read some of her words I found completely cool and profound. That may sound radical to us, but Jesus wasn't straying very far from his own scriptures and the law in this parable. The central hope of Jewish tradition is a vision of a debt-free world. An economic system based solely on God's provision and generosity. A moral response of gratitude and humility on the part of God's people. And regular rituals of debt, abolition, and freedom from contractual obligations, wouldn't that give you a big sigh of relief? This was to be the economic and moral rhythm of Israel linked together in a single social fabric and practiced through weekly Sabbath, Sabbath years and the Jubilee. Although his Jewish listeners would have been well aware of the story behind Jesus' story, his words might have seemed somewhat harsh at the time, after all, the first guy was owed money. His fellow slave was obligated. The freed slave only sought what was rightfully his, yet the first slave, who seemed to be the hero of the peace, quickly turned out to be a villain. Ancient Rome, much like our society, was an entire economic system based on debt, not unlike ours. Everyone was burdened by it in some way. It was a hierarchy of debt and obligation, benefactors and clients, upper classes and lower ones. Come on, we all live here. All bound together in a complex structure of patronage where benefits flowed from top to bottom and tributes of obligation were returned from bottom to top with interest, come on. We're talking about both an economic system and a relationship system one in which we count and take account, where we are humanizing ourselves in some cases and dehumanizing others. A lot of this relationship inequity happens when we see others as different than us. We disagree with them. And in our disagreement politically, religiously, relationally, there's something that comes in to the relationship. Something that is hard to describe. I'm going to try it. Um, it's about. It's around this uh, this concept of narrowing your uh, your view of people that you disagree with. When you disagree with someone, let me try to get get this on here. We tend to tighten on the ego and certainty and we begin to think of the other as an unreal other. Like they, our empathy for them is lessened. We don't have a lot of empathy because we don't see the humanity in them. We see the humanity in ourselves. Some people call this the unreal other, when you dehumanize others and think of yourself as more worthy of forgiveness or grace than they are. This happens a lot in religious groups. I heard a story about a group of Confucians who were upset with their neighbor Taoist uh, master who would meditate naked. That just sounds interesting. Uh, you um, would meditate naked. And, and so, this group of Confucians were very concerned and upset that the Taoist would, would meditate naked. So, they decided to go up the hill and tell him how inappropriate it was that he would be meditating naked. So, they hiked up the mountain to give him a lecture on proper meditation etiquette. And he said, This entire universe is my hut. This little hut that I live live in, these are my pants. So what are you doing fellas in my pants? Perspective is everything. See, he saw that little hut inside the big hut. It's like this is my covering. When we open or close the aperture of our perspective, around who is right and who is wrong, who is disagreeable, who is weaker than us, who is tough, who's got it together and who doesn't, who deserves what they've got coming to them versus who doesn't. We begin to look at others as the unreal other. There was a woman and her daughter, uh, The woman, aging mother, had uh, gotten into a coma, was sick and in a coma in the hospital and was there laid out in the coma for days and days and days while the adult daughter was sitting by, hoping for one more miraculous moment of interaction with her mother. And it did happen. Her mother woke up out of the coma and said these words, my whole life, I thought something was wrong with me. And then she closed her eyes and fell asleep for the last time. That woman goes on to say that those were some of the most beautiful gifts of words that she could have received. Because she, too, had lived with this overwhelming feeling that something was always wrong with her, that if she could just develop past this one thing, if, if only she didn't have this hang up, or if only she had this figured out, then she would really be sailing in life, if only. And those words from her mom began to give her a new perspective on how to live. What if I lived my life as if nothing were wrong with me? What if I lived my life as if this is the way that I am? This is who I am. And as Tamara and I like to talk about, be in relationship with those parts of ourselves that are weaker, that are less desirable. What if grace got next in this next season of your life and you and all of your strong parts and you and all of your weak parts went forward together and played the game with all of you? Brene Brown says, it is when you own all the parts of your story that you actually begin to experience freedom. It's when you stand outside of your story and deny that those parts exist, that we are in a, like, a likelihood of having depression, anxiety, shame, isolation, loneliness. What if this house put grace in the game? What if we were not like the wicked Servant. But instead, when someone came to us or hasn't yet come to us with that apology, we wish we could get from them. Come on. That apology that you wish, can't they just see? If only they would ask me. I wonder, bless you, I wonder if in this house we could extend the grace the space, the openness, and the forgiveness that we so desperately want ourselves. I think that at this new court, we need to remind ourselves that death and life are in the power of our tongues. We need to remind ourselves that we are fallible, that we are weak, but he is strong, That we cannot always forgive in our own strength, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. This is a spiritual tune-up for us. To remember, to cancel the debts, let it be the year of jubilee. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me. To preach the gospel to the poor, to set at liberty the captives, to proclaim the year of our Lord, the year of jubilee. Not only economically, but relationally. What would it be like? I can imagine as Jesus had that dream, I can imagine Jesus preaching it like Martin Luther King. I have a dream that one day relationships will be harmonious. I have a dream that one day people will forgive before they're even asked. I have a dream that one day someone will borrow and loan and the the debts will just be forgiven. That the currency by which we live is love and not money. The currency will be grace and faith and hope and love and not stuck on money and debt and contract. I have a dream that one day we're going to live in covenant more than contract. Economically and relationally, I believe this house could be that grace-forward, faith-forward, forgiveness-forward type of community that receives and draws in and releases people who haven't lived up to our own standards who accepts and believes in people just exactly the way they are and doesn't hold them back until they get better in order to receive them into the table. I believe that there's this kind of currency working in this house already. I see it in you. I see the way in which you forgive. I see the way that you come back to the table after you've been offended. I see that in you. And I encourage it. I want to fan the flame for us, that we live as a people who remember that grace got next. I'd like to see some tattoos of grace got next in this house. Me first, yeah. I haven't gotten a tattoo since I was 22 years old. I don't know that it's going to happen. Tamara has all the tattoos for me. <laughs> um, would someone please go and thank you? Yay. Before I even ask, it happens. Band, if you would join me back up. Uh, if you guys, are you guys doing that today? Or are you doing communion? Okay, cool. In this house, we are those that loosen our grip on ourselves and on others. And I have learned this, that the more I'm in relationship with forgiving myself, the more I can forgive others. Have you learned that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Would you stand with me? if you would like, and we're going to enter into the interactive part of, of the service.